0: Our Lifehouse Church, Seb here, and welcome to our online service. We're currently in our series called Origins, which is focusing on the book of Genesis. So strap yourselves in, get your writing utensils ready, because we're about to head to the message. Awesome! Wow! That sounds a bit different. Sorry, I threw this on Peter at the last minute, literally while we were in worship. I thought, I'm going to grab a headset, so I ran back there. Hopefully, it sounds all right. Can everyone hear me? Brilliant. All right. Sounds good. We'll get started. Good morning. morning. How are we going? Going all right? Good. (laughs) I also wanted to say good morning to everyone joining us online. I'm glad that you're able to to join us in, in that capacity. Hopefully, we we see you in the building sometime. You guys are important to us as well. Uh, Is this slipping? Is that all right? Cool. Well, this morning, I wanted to tell you a story. It's the story of Cain and Abel. And as soon as I said Cain and Abel, most of you ran through the entirety of that story in your head. It's not a very long story. Uh, But it is deep and it is rich. It's like Morgan Freeman's voice. It's deep (laughs) and it's rich. In both senses of the word. Um, but before I tell you that story, I wanted to provide some context, right? Because context is important. And that's, that's kind of why we're doing this series, right? To give us context. We've got to understand our origin to be able to kind of understand what's going on now. You've got to understand how something starts to accurately interpret everything that follows, right? Like, for example, I could tell you a punchline to a joke, but without the setup it's not going to be as funny, right? And then the school kid said, don't worry, the president took my backpack. <laughs> Terrible, right? It's actually a really funny joke, I'll tell you another time. Um, <laughs> but the same way I could tell you an answer, but without the question, it's not going to be very useful. 42. <laughs> without the question, it's not a very good answer, right? So. That's what I'm wanting to do this morning. As we, as we read this story, I wanted to provide some context around what's going on in our lives today. And um, sorry, I'm going to lose my spot a lot today. Um, but that's, that's kind of the purpose of origin stories, isn't it? Like Batman, for example. I've got no problem with a guy running around dressed as a bat fighting crime. That's awesome by itself. But isn't it really? Like, That's cool. No, me, all right, maybe I'm a nerd, but I think that, that's great, but when you understand the, the origin story, you know, the, the opera, the alleyway, the mugger, a lot of blank faces, you guys know Batman, right? <laughs> but the origin story is so good. What about Luke Skywalker? He's pretty well known, right? Flying around the galaxy in his X-wing, with his robot hand and his lightsaber, he can use the force, he's saving people, he's great. And and you can appreciate his character, but when you understand his origin story, the moisture farm on the remote desert planet, we understand his character growth, his his longing to journey through the stars, when we understand his heritage, no spoilers, we understand his struggle between good and evil, light and dark, right? There's a depth to his character that gets added when we understand his origin. What about... My favourite, right? Doctor Who. The Doctor. He's... Oh, come on. Yes. I, <laughs> that is my favourite TV show. And um, the Doctor... I mean, the whole point of Doctor Who for like 55 years was we don't know his origin story. Like, Doctor Who. We don't know. That was the whole point. That he's just some guy and we don't really know his origin. But there was an episode a couple of years ago when the current doctor was hanging out with the original doctor, he swaps bodies, it's a thing, but the original doctor kind of explains why he left his home planet in the first place. He explains a bit of his origin. And I don't have the quote exactly here, but it's along the lines of, I left Gallifrey, I won't do the voice, to answer a question of my own. See, goodness is not an effective survival strategy. So how does good prevail? That was his kind of question. That's why he set off on his journey to try to understand. Like if you get a bunch of bad guys and a bunch of good guys in a fight, the bad guys are probably going to win, you know? They're not bound by the same rules of honour that the good guys are. They can be a bit sneaky. If you get good and evil in a fight, you'd expect evil to win because... They can just kind of do whatever to win. They'll, they'll stop at nothing, whereas the good guys kind of have to follow these rules. And so, yeah, that's why I think Doctor Who's a great... Can I just keep talking about Doctor Who? Is that... No, <laughs> all right, preferably not. Maybe next time. But, um, but what about us, right? We've got our punchline, we've got our answer, we've got our superhero, it's Jesus. It's Christ and Him crucified, as, as Josh has been sharing. And knowing that is enough. Now, if that's all we know, that is enough. But just like Luke Skywalker, it is a depth to him that we can understand better by understanding the origin. There's a depth to our relationship with him that we can know better if we understand our origin. And so, I want to talk about this story about Cain and Abel. Um, so that we might be able to know Christ and Him crucified a little bit better today than we did yesterday. And You know, the Bible, right? Oh, no, I'll pray first, all right? Let's, let's pray. Let's, let's ask God to be speaking to us. Heavenly Father, we just thank You that You are here. And God, I thank You that You're the same God today as You were all those years ago, That when you spoke to Adam and Eve, when you spoke to Cain and Abel, it's the same voice speaking to us this morning. And God, I thank you that just as you knew each of them by name, you know every single one of us by name. Everyone here, everyone joining us online, everyone in the world, you know each of us by name. And you care about each of us personally. And you have a message for us today. So God, as I'm speaking, let it be your message coming through God, let your Holy Spirit be in this place, speaking to every single heart. We thank you and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. So, the Bible is cool. It's it's like this collection of ancient documents, right? It's, It's literally, sometimes I think of it and I get kind of into this fantasy world, it's like this book of ancient, it's knowledge spanning thousands of years, quite literally, like it's awesome, right? And every time I read it, I get something new out of it. How cool is that? That it's not something that we just read and it's done, like a, like a normal book. This, this is living, it's God's word, you know? And so I've probably read, I don't know how many times I've read the story of Cain and Abel, but every single time until this week, there was something quite obvious that I just missed. I don't know how, but this week it stood out to me. God had something new for me this week. And so as I'm reading the, the story of Cain and Abel, I want to give us some context to the context. <laughs> um, I want to jump back just to a little bit just before that in chapter 3 where God is um, addressing, he's addressing Adam and Eve and the serpent just after the fall, after they've eaten the fruit. And I know Josh has covered this over the last couple of weeks, but I think he missed something. No, he didn't actually. Uh, He just didn't focus on this bit. That's fine. All right. So from Genesis 3, 14 to 19, the context for the story of Cain and Abel. So the Lord God said to the serpent, "'Because you have done this, "'cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals.' You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, that's, that's kind of like animosity, between you and the woman and between your, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. "'Cursed is the ground because of you. "'Through painful toil you will eat food from it "'all the days of your life. "'It will produce thorns and thistles for you "'and you will eat the plants of the field. "'By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food "'until you return to the ground, "'since from it you were taken. "'For dust you are, and to dust you will return.'" I don't know how many times I've read that, but I missed something every single time. Maybe you picked up on it, I googled it, apparently heaps of people have known about this for a very long time. But it's when God is speaking to the serpent and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. When I read that, I just thought it meant like the serpent's going to be an enemy of humanity, right? That, that the, the serpent and his offspring are going to be enemies of Eve and her offspring. But it doesn't mean offspring in general. It's talking about one particular guy. It says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. It's one guy in particular, right? Jesus. And this, theologians call the proto-evangelium, which basically means the first gospel, the first good news. This is the first prophecy about Jesus. How cool is that? I mean, there's other hints in there, but this is the first promise of a saviour. And it's something that Adam and Eve would have picked up on, I missed it, they wouldn't have. This is their hope at getting back in the garden, this is their, their, you know, this is their hope at restoring that relationship with their father, being forgiven, there's a promise of a saviour. But perhaps, like me, they didn't fully understand what it meant. Because with that context in mind, we start Chapter 4 of Genesis, the story of Cain and Abel. And it starts with this verse. Adam made love to his wife Eve. Sorry if there's any kids around. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Essentially, what she's saying there is, offspring. Right? She'd been promised that her offspring was going to crush the head of the serpent. Now she's got offspring. Great. And and to back that up, she calls him Cain, which basically means, here he is. It means acquired. It's like in a video game, like item equipped, you know, (laughs) like she's got the offspring now. And it seems likely that they expected Cain to fulfill God's promise, that they'd been told, right, there's going to be a saviour, your offspring's going to win, and now they've got him. And so... It's interesting, they seem to think that Cain was the fulfilment of that promise. I don't think they were expecting it to take 4,000 years. You know, if I were there, I would have just assumed, yeah, this is him, right? Like, he's small now, but one day he'll be bigger, we hope. We've never seen this before, but presumably. But then we keep reading. Verses 2 to 5. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So, Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Now, I find that interesting that Cain ended up working the ground. Because that was part of Adam's curse, that it was going to be a struggle, that it was going to be hard work. and, And yet, that's what Cain ends up doing, he's working the ground, maybe with his dad, that kind of, that cursed job, you know, something about their attitudes, that Cain spent a lot of time focused on work, hard work, whereas Abel was just hanging out with the sheep. If we just look at the words it uses, right, the words to describe their roles, Cain Chose work to work to serve, till, or enslave. It's this harsh kind of image that we get of like just solid toiling away, digging up dirt in the sun kind of thing. Like the kind of thing I'd imagine prisoners get to do when they're just like breaking those rocks and things, you know, like just hard work. It's crazy, right? That's what he ended up doing. Whereas Abel chose to keep the sheep, it says he kept flocks. And that word means to tend, pasture, graze, rule and associate with. It seems much more kind of relational, just like being with the sheep, like, hey, there's some grass over here, yay! Lovely grass, not harsh dirt and rock and sand, just grass and sheep, a bit smelly, but that's all right. I don't know, maybe maybe some farmers in the room are like, oh man, sheep are a lot harder than you think, Walter. But I think... It just seems that that word that was used to, to tend, pasture, graze, associate with, it seems like a nicer kind of role. And I think that says something about their attitudes. And I think it's with these attitudes that they came with their offering to God. That Abel came along with, with that kind of mindset of just kind of being with the sheep, being in the pasture. And he brings some lamb fat and he gives it to God and it's accepted. And then Cain comes along with the grain, says, like, maybe we can make some flatbreads here. And he is not accepted. So why was Abel accepted and Cain wasn't? At first, I thought maybe it was something to do with the, the type of offering that they were giving. Like lamb, the lamb had to die, blood was spilt, there was a sacrifice there. Maybe that was more acceptable than, than the grain. But as we read through the rest of the Bible, like grain is an acceptable offering most of the time. So what was the difference? What was going on? Have you ever been at like a Christmas gathering? Ten weeks till Christmas, by the way. How shocking is that? Um, I've got to start buying things. All right, focus. <laughs> we, uh, have you ever been at a Christmas gathering, right? And um, you know, where, like you're sitting there, it's, it's presents time, you know, you're all kind of sitting around, maybe one of the younger guys gets to hand out the presents so that you don't have to get up and they learn generosity or something. And, um, and see so you're sitting there and, and they come up and they're, oh, here's a present for you. And you're like, th- oh, outwardly, you're like, oh, I didn't need a present. Oh, you guys. Inwardly, you're like, yeah, presents. But um, and then you unwrap it and it's something like like underwear or, you know, I used to get underwear a lot for Christmas. I had to get it at some point. And mum and dad would always just like, yep, Christmas, everyone gets new underwear, new socks. And I'm like, yep, all right, put that away. Actual presents, where are the actual ones? You know, but, but when you get a present and you're with your family, you're with your friends, and it might not be something you like, maybe it's a book. Anyone get books? Books, are just, you know you're old when you start getting books for Christmas. <laughs> like, it's just kind of, it's the kind of gift where you're like, I don't really know what to get them, I'll get them a book. And so you get the book and you're like, oh, how to be a better friend, you know me so well. And um, you know, so you've got you've got this present, and maybe it's not something you really like. You look at it and you think, "I'm never using that. That's that's getting re-gifted next year." And then, but outwardly, you've got to you've got to show your appreciation. You know, you've got to spend a, an appropriate amount of time going, "Oh, oh wow, yeah, this is oh, I reviewed by oh wow, yeah, this is great. Oh yeah, the cotton, oh brilliant. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that down, but I'm still I'm still admiring it. You know, that's that's great." All right, where's the Lego? You know, like, you, you gotta, you gotta show your appreciation. God didn't do that. Is the point I'm making. God, God, Abel gave him some lamb fat, and he's like, "Yes, I love it. We can do so much with this." Cain, no. Abel, you know, he was quite harsh, really. He would, he just accepted Abel's gift, and he didn't accept Cain's. And Cain got angry. And his face was downcast. I don't even know what downcast means. I'm assuming like, kind of think like down, I don't know. But his wasn't accepted. God was quite honest about where he stood. He, he wasn't pretending that, oh yeah, no, that's fine. It's all right, I'll, I'll, I can use the grain. No, he, he was quite clear, like no, that is not acceptable. But why wasn't it? What was wrong with his gift? Well, we find out in Hebrews... 11, chapter... Sorry, verse 4. It says that by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Abel's offering was accepted because it was given by faith. And so from that, we can assume that Cain's was not given by faith. But this was... This is like right at the start of creation. What what did they have faith in? I mean, they both believed in God, obviously, besides that promise of a saviour. That Abel gave, believing in God, having faith that they would be saved and Cain didn't. And maybe it's because he thought that it was meant to be him. Maybe that's why he was so focused on work, trying to be good enough, knowing that he never was. Like, he knew better than anyone on the face of the planet, besides maybe God, that he couldn't be a saviour. And we don't normally read this story and feel bad for Cain, but I do. You know? Can you imagine being in that kind of situation, thinking that there was so much pressure on you, thinking that the expectations were so high? thinking that you had to be all that, you had to be good enough, you had to do enough, you somehow had to be the saviour of your family. Maybe you don't have to imagine very hard though because I think we often find ourselves thinking that way anyway, thinking that, oh, I've got to be good, I've got to do the right thing. I can't mess up, I can't let this fall apart, I can't let those people down, I've got to be enough. I've got to be better than I know I'm able to be. You put all this pressure on yourself. We set these expectations knowing that we can never reach them. I think we all do that. And Cain lost his faith because he put it in the wrong thing. He was never meant to put his faith in himself. He was never meant to be the saviour. And neither are you. And you know, faith is too important to put in the wrong thing. Not only is it foolish, but it's actually dangerous. That when we put our faith in the wrong thing, we usually end up doing more harm than good. And with that in mind, I'd like to invite someone up to give me a hand. Quite literally, a hand. That'll be funny in a few moments. Um, is it, can I have a volunteer? Everyone's like, I remember when you did, you know, you were going to put mud in Michaela's eye. I'm not falling for this. This one's much better. I hope. No volunteers? That's fair enough. Hey, Danielle, where are you? <laughs> you wanna... Yeah, Danielle, come on. <laughs> All right. So, I'm just wanting to illustrate the, um, this idea that we can put faith in the wrong thing, but it does us more harm than good. But I didn't want to do harm to myself. So thank you, Danielle, for joining me. <laughs> um, you know what? If you want to turn away for a second, maybe just, yeah, don't look. I'm just going to put some spikes under two of these. All right. Don't, don't look yet. That's good. That's great. All right. Now, you can turn around now. The light's not giving it away. I just turned that off. Why do I do that? I need my notes. Alright, so, here we have three paper bags, right? And these symbolise things that we can put our faith in. I, think, I mean, there's heaps of things you can put your faith in, right? Money, security, relationships, your job, all this stuff. But I think it generally boils down to we can put faith in God, we can put faith in ourselves, or we can put faith in others. And you know, there's only one option here that doesn't end up doing more harm than good. That if you put your faith, if you try to lean on any of these, there's only one that's actually going to allow you to put your faith in, your full faith in it, without it actually damaging you in the long run. So, Danielle, you're probably like 99% sure you know which one is safe, but there's that little voice in the back of your head going, this is Walter, he's the guy that dropped the brick on my toe when we were kids. So, there's probably that little voice of doubt. And even you guys saw me putting the spikes under there. They're just pens, but still, it's going to hurt. You saw me putting them there. And, and there's probably still, in some of you, there's that little voice going, I've seen magic tricks. I've seen them put the thing under the one thing and it's not there later. They've moved it. So, maybe there's even that tiny voice in, in some of your heads as well. But that's all right. Because if we didn't have doubt, we wouldn't need faith. Faith, as we're told in, in Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence of things unseen. Faith is not being 100% sure, but still going 100% in. And so, Danielle, I want you to go 100%. I want you to pick one of these to put your full faith in and slam your hand down. Which one are you going to pick? Just, just so I know. Which one is that? God? Going to put your faith in God, really? All right. Yeah, just slam your hand down on top of it. Great. Well, good job. Awesome. I'm glad that worked out. Awesome. Thanks, Danielle. <laughs> See you later. Brilliant. I'm, I'm really glad that worked. Even I had that tiny voice. So did I put him on the right one? I'm just going <laughs> to drop those down there for now. Get those out the way. Thanks, Danielle. That illustrated the point brilliantly. So, faith is too important to put in the wrong thing. It ends up doing us more harm than good if we don't put it in something that's actually going to see us through. And so... Oops, I'm further down. There we go. It's important to put your faith in the right thing because look at what Cain went to when he started putting his faith in himself when he started focusing too much on his works, when he started realising that he wasn't enough, look at what it drove him to. This is from Genesis 4, 6 to 12. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Now, I don't know exactly how he got that misinterpreted. God's like, all right, be good. And he's like, yep, gotcha, I'm going to kill my brother. Somehow that was his train of thought. But that's what he did. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And again, it's like, that's, I'm not the keeper. Abel was the keeper. That's not my job. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. By faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And I find that interesting. There's a few things in there. There's Cain killed his brother, and God knew, God knew what he'd done, just like with Adam and Eve, he he knew that they'd eaten the fruit, but he didn't rush in with condemnation, he didn't say, you've sinned against me, how could you do this, I've only been good to you, no. He came in and he asked a question, with Adam and Eve, he said, where are you? Why are you hiding? With Cain, he says, where is your brother? He doesn't rush in with condemnation. He rushes in with an opportunity to confess, to tell the truth, to be honest. And I think that is so important for us to remember because so often we get focused on what we've done wrong. We get focused on our sin. We get focused on I've eaten the fruit. I've I've killed my brother. I've done the wrong thing. I've said the wrong thing. I've thought the wrong thing. What we've done wrong. And then we feel that shame and we feel that guilt. And then God comes along with an opportunity to bring it to him. But so often we let that guilt consume us and we say, no, I'm going to hide it. I'm going to put it over here. I'm going to keep God at a distance. And what I want us to understand is when we do that, that is the separation. That's the thing we're trying to avoid. That's the whole problem with sin is when we take it and we keep it over here instead of bringing it in faith to God. See, Abel wasn't perfect. Abel had flaws. He was just some guy. But he came to God in faith. And we can do the same. I know that each of us have things that are probably coming to mind right now. And if they're not, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is going to help you with that. That that things that we've done wrong, the, the areas in our life that we've messed up, and maybe we've been messing up for a while, maybe we've been hiding it for a while, but God wants to give you an opportunity. And you can take that opportunity this morning to come to Him in faith, to give that over and say, I don't want the guilt. I don't want the shame. I don't want to hold on to my sin. I want to bring it to you. I want to receive the love and the forgiveness and the grace that you have in store. I think we often forget that. It's crazy. We know God is good, but are we willing to put our faith in it? Are we willing to say, you know, I trust him not to condemn me, not to be harsh with me, but to love me as a father that I can actually bring my sin to him in faith that he is going to be gracious and forgiving and loving to me. I want to ask each of us to do that this morning. To take those things that are coming to mind as the Holy Spirit just reveals those to us those areas in our life where we've been letting things down and letting things go and and remembering that it's not about what we do because nothing we do is good enough. But it's just about bringing it to God. God doesn't need you to be perfect. He just wants you to be close. That's what it's all about. We don't need to be scared to bring our sin to God. That's the whole point is to bring our sin to him and to lay it at his feet. And, and so I want to pray over that in just a moment. But there is a little, little bit more that I want to talk about, if we've still got time. Yep, yeah, great. The last little bit, Genesis 13 to 16, Cain said to the Lord, "'My punishment is more than I can bear. "'Today you are driving me from the land, "'and I will be hidden from your presence.'" I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, in Hebrew, what's left out is just as important as what's put in. And there's something pretty key there that Cain leaves out. See, when God's explaining Cain's curse, there's three parts. Be driven from the land, the ground will no longer yield its crops for you, and you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And then Cain reiterates it back to him. He says, my punishment is more than I can bear. You're driving me from the land, which means I'll be hidden from your presence, and I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And God corrects that and he protects him but he leaves out the part about his work. Cain completely overlooks the fact that he can no longer do his job. And to me, that says that he finally got it. He finally realised that it wasn't about his work. When he's suddenly faced with this possible future without God in it, he realises that that's the only thing that ever mattered in the first place. He's like a lamb being sent out to the wild animals away from the flock. He says, I'm going to die if you send me out there. So God puts a mark on him to keep him safe. But I think what he realized in that moment is that God had been his keeper the whole time. And God is your keeper today. He always has been, right from the origin, right from the start. And so our context today is that we have a loving father we have a keeper. We have someone who wants to keep us safe and keep us in the flock and look after us and protect us. He's our keeper. That word again, meaning to graze, to pasture, to associate with. He just wants to be with you. And we can come to him today in faith. We can bring all our flaws, all our failures. We can bring it to him in faith. And so if you want to stand with me, I just want to pray over that that this morning we would not be held back by our fear, not be held back by that knowledge that we're not good enough because God doesn't mind. He doesn't need you to be perfect. He just wants you to be close. And so as we close our eyes and maybe just hold out our hands like we're giving this to Him, like we're bringing Him this offering in faith, I just want to pray that God, please just accept this offering, we know that it is sin, we know that it is failure, we know that it's the areas of our lives that we would prefer you didn't see, but God, that's the part that you want to take from us, so God, we just offer it willingly in faith to you this morning. And maybe you're standing here thinking that you're not ready, you're not ready to trust him with that, maybe you're... You're not 100% sure. But doubt is okay. If we didn't have doubt, we wouldn't need faith. You don't have to be 100% sure to be 100% in. So God, have it all. Lord, we know that you died for this, that you paid a price for this, that us holding on to it is us holding on to something that no longer belongs to us. So God, we just Give it over to you now. Jesus, we thank you that you paid the price to take this. And Lord, we trust you with it. We give it to you in faith right now. Just pray all these things in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much, guys. We're gonna get into some worship. Thank you for tuning into our online service today. But hey. If you got something out of that message, we would love to hear from you. So why don't you head over to life.house and find the My Response section and tell us all about it. And as well as that, we know it was good tuning in online, but what's even better is being here in the house. So we run our services every Sunday at 10 a.m. So we would love to see you here, to hear how your week's been and to fellowship with you. But I hope you have a blessed week, uh, and I'll see you around.